You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. Today on the show, my guest is Max Dickens, a comedian, actor, presenter, playwright, and most recently, the author of Billy No Mates, How I Realized That Men Have a Friendship Problem. So let's start right at the start. You mentioned that you realized that when you were shopping for an engagement ring that you didn't really have anyone you could ask to be your best man. Now, you didn't have any close friends, anyone close enough, but I wonder what was the reality? What was the state of your connections, if not friendships at that point? Were there, you know, maybe loose friendships here and there or was it actual loneliness? I mean, this, that, this is a really good question. So I don't think you realise you've got a friendship problem until you really need friends. So I was thinking of getting married, thinking of proposing to my girlfriend, Naomi. And when you do that, when you get married, it's one of the few points in your life where you literally audit your social life. You have to write a list of your friends. You have to prioritise them, in, which is slightly bizarre. And the best man thing is a real sort of, sort of the sort of summit of that. But I wouldn't say I felt... I, I felt always conscious of feeling very lonely because I was busy. I was busy with work stuff. I was busy hanging out with my girlfriend's friends. I did family bits. So it wasn't like I looked like loneliness. So I say in the book, loneliness doesn't look like me. I'm a young-ish, outgoing guy. I'm quick to buy my round at the bar. But when push came to shove and I needed a close friend, so not just what you might call mate, someone you hang out with occasionally or have a beer, when I actually needed a proper close friend, and we can maybe get into definitions of what that means, I realised that I didn't really have anyone who was male to fill that role. And actually, a lot of other men are in the same boat. Yeah, you touched on it there. So at the end of, of this journey now, of the process of writing this book, how would you now define friendship versus how you would have defined it five years ago? Yeah, so friend and friendship is famously hard to define. People have been trying to do it since Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago. But I think we all acutely know that there is a difference between a stranger and acquaintance, a friend and a, and a close friend, right? And the boundaries are a bit muddy. But I think you could define friend, and I think I define friend as someone to hang out with. But actually, I think a close friend is more profound than that. A close friend is someone that you feel really knows you on an intimate level, and you really know them. It's kind of a unique sense of knowledge, shared knowledge of one another. And that can come through talk or through sharing time and adventures together. But if you look at the, so my book's explicitly about men, and this is true of me and true of men generally, the Movember Foundation, which is a mental health charity, recently did a survey and asked men, how many close friends have you got? And one in three said no one at all. And they asked that same group of friends, same group of people, I should say, how many people in your life could you talk about something really important, such as a health worry, money worry, relationship worry with? And 50% of the men they ask could think of no one at all. So this connects to what I think a really close friend is, which is someone that you trust to have that sense of disclosure with. You could go to when times are tough. And also the people you ring first when you're like, oh, I'm having a great time. I want someone to celebrate with. And I want to share that with you as well. So there may be people listening right now who think, you know, maybe they're not the type of person that, you know, needs friends, that friends are more of a luxury than a necessity. Why can this be defined as a, as a problem? What are the mental and physical effect, effects of having no close friendships? So, um, I mean, it's a really good question. And I should say that there's not a perfect number of friends. Mm -hmm. And there's loads of research that says that introverts 
um, have less friends. They maybe have closer friendships, but less than extroverts have more friends, but they're slightly shallower. And that's fine. And I'm not here to tell people exactly how to live their lives. You asked about the mental and physical sort of consequences of not having friends. Um, it's loneliness and lack of friendship is very closely linked to uh, bad mental health and depression. Um, the Samaritans, a mental health charity, suicide is a very complex thing. And for men, it's the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK. And, and it's quite a big problem globally as well. They say isolation is a real big factor in male suicide rates. But then we kind of think we get that not having friends might make us miserable. But what we might not understand is actually our physical bodies affected by it. And this is something that really surprised me. So there's loads of research around this. Julia Holt Ludstad, who's a, who's a psychologist and a big researcher here, has done some quite famous research, which showed that having no friends, being lonely was worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, worse for you than being really fat, worse for you than drinking far too much. So it really affects your physical body as well as your, your mental body, if you like. And then rather than just talking about misery, if I can talk about, share one more thing here. There's lots of research around happiness. So Robert Waldinger at Harvard did this longitudinal study taking loads of guys that graduated Harvard and other people in the Boston area, I think in the 1950s and 60s, followed them through their life. And at the end, they're like 90 years old, hundreds of these guys. And the, the, the thing that made the biggest difference to their happiness was their close friendships, their close relationships. And then if you look at research by positive psychologists, they'll say there's nothing in the world that is sufficient to guarantee you having a, a happy life. But there's only one thing that is necessary. And no, you don't find any happy people who don't have this, which is a, a circle uh, big or small of close friends. So this stuff is just so fundamental to living a, a fulfilling life as well as having a, a healthy life. And you mentioned that since they started um, tracking these or looking at the metrics since the 70s, that men have always had significantly less friends than women. I mm. wonder as the years go on and, you know, we catch up to to the modern day, has that gap started to, to bridge at all or? So what's um, really interesting is actually it hasn't changed whatsoever. So that when they started, social scientists started measuring uh, relationships and friendships in the early 70s, men have had less friends than women, especially less close friends. That hasn't changed. So famously, there's lots of research post-pandemic that men are suffering a friendship recession, they call it. So they're saying rather than getting better, it's getting worse, this problem. And I think... To, to kind of be more specific about this, there are certain pinch points in a life where it's hard to have friends and maintain friendships, whether you're male or female, but it seems to be worse for men. So your social life peaks in your late so late 20s, uh, the research suggests, which kind of makes sense. You have tons of time. Then you turn 30, you get to your 40s, 50s. Everyone's social world slightly shrinks, but men's shrinks more than women's. So kind of the big question is, you know what's going on here why is it that men have less friends than women why do they why do we find this harder and that's sort of what i set out to find out for, for my own sake as well as everyone else's so you mentioned there's there's two major overarching problems with um male friendships number one they yeah. lack intimacy so mm. i think a lot of men even listen to this now they may be weirded out by the word intimacy <laughs> but what does the word intimacy look like to you in an effective friendship? I mean, this is kind of getting to the crux of a lot of what I, I looked at. So there's, there's, there's arguably two ways of looking at intimacy, and it might be slightly male and slightly female. So one form of intimacy is kind of what I discussed is that sense of really knowing someone, talking about the deeper stuff inside of you, how you feel about things, any tough things you're going through, that kind of sense of yeah, sharing personal information and feeling comfortable doing that. And a lot of psychologists, a lot of therapists would say it's absolutely crucial. And, and, and a lot of people think that that is true intimacy. However, there's also a school of thought, and I think there's a lot in this, but there's another form of intimacy that doesn't involve talk whatsoever. So the example I give in the book is in my 20s, I was on the, the stand-up comedy circuit in the UK, and I was um, in a double act 
with a with a friend called Jules. And we would not talk about our feelings. We think that is so naff and like, we just weren't, weren't comfortable with that really, especially at that age. But we did all these gigs together, driving miles and miles to sh- share bills together. We, we, we went through the adventure of trying to pursue a dream and going through all that, you know, that range of emotions together and seeing how we were reacting and seeing each other and sharing the space, sharing the journey felt really intimate. And I don't think I've had a more intimate friendship than that, but it wasn't about talks. There's like two ways of looking at intimacy and they're both brilliant. But I think the thing that men struggle with is often we'll have the second form or we have had that. And the first form, we don't have so much of a, of an outlet for that. And we don't need loads of it, but we do need some for the reasons we've discussed already. Hmm. Just touching back then, reflecting on your own personal story to yeah. get to the point um we're in search of your best man when you were younger maybe you know moving into your 20s university age party age were you the t- did you have a lot of friends at that point yeah i mean I, I i did well i certainly had enough friends that i didn't really think about it but i think friendship looks different then so this is what a big thing I came, I thought about and I realised is that I was comparing the friends I wanted now in my mid-30s to the friends I had when I was in my teen years or when I was in my early mid-20s. And they are a bit different. So much about friends in your 20s is doing new stuff together and you're in these sharing flats. It's like the famous one, right? You were in a flat sharing in your 20s or at uni. You're going through college together. You're on sports teams and they're, they're, they're brilliant. But because life is quite easy in your 20s for most people, you don't kind of need the more heftier friendships. But it's only when you're like, okay, time's a bit tricky. Do I have that outlet? Do I have that sort of friend? And I realized I didn't. Um, and in a sense, I wasn't set up. I didn't, couldn't behave in a way that would allow me to have those friend, friendships. I wasn't open to close friendships. So I wasn't like, the guy you imagine in the school cafeteria sat alone eating his lunch by himself, but I didn't have, um, I, I didn't have friends that I necessarily I could rely on, and also they could rely on me. Hmm. Yeah, friendships. I'm thinking now in my own experience how different they mm. look. My my best friend now and the 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 person that I run this podcast with is two of us. Yeah, we've been best friends since we were since we were teenagers, but. When I look back on it then, before we got into that university age, we were very much, our friendship was football. It was yeah. going to the gym and taking the piss out of each other. That was essentially <laughs> the holy trinity of friendship back then. Um, but, and there they wasn't really a, a sort of a deep connection there. But fast forward years into our young adult life, I think the things that brought us closer together were maybe the first time he went through a, a breakup or the first time that one of us had money issues in university or yeah when we were when we were deeply stressed and those were the the moments i think that really forged our friendship and so do you think that a lot of this intimacy issue that affects male friendships now stems from a maybe a, like a like a post-war mentality of mm. you know strap your boots up get on with it you know other people have it harder there's more important things we need to carry on do you think we've almost brought that mentality with us into the modern day which stops people having these um conversations like i mentioned yeah um i think there's something in that so people listening to this might think post-war i mean Mm. the second world war finished (laughs) 70 years ago why are we still talking about it but I suppose what we mean by that is some of these norms of masculinity, so way ways we do being guys, it's kind of rules we bring to how we interact with one another, is that getting in the way? And some of these are quite old-fashioned. We inherit them off our dads and we get taught them in schools implicitly and from each other. And I think there is a lot to that. And I, I really realised this when actually I went to a party with my girlfriend and we were just driving back from the party. And she said to me, like, do you, because she knew I was looking to try and 
improve my friendships. And she said, do you know what you're like with other guys? Like, do you watch yourself? I said, what are you talking about? She said, like, you're completely different with blokes than you are with me or with women you know. Like, you become this different person. You become, like, you know, doctor, take the piss. And I would absolutely pride myself on being a world-class piss taker. Like, you know, that's, I think, like, and, and it's something really fun about that, that kind of vibe between men where we can absolutely banter each other to death. But I realised that, I you know, I would become a lot more belligerent. Like I said, my body language changes. You know, it's kind of the one-upmanship in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, I in, Outside of conversations, men men don't like to show their male friends that they like them really we don't like for example we don't like to be the ones that do the chasing the organizing because we think that's a bit needy so we often sit in a holding pattern with our male friends waiting for them to make the first move um also like how i realized like when was the last time i told a male friend i i so much as liked them and i realized it would take me six or seven pints mm. to get to that point um and so these sort of norms and then, then of course you've got the the feelings thing right you don't want to talk about stuff um, because maybe you think it's a bit effeminate or there's a big thing about, and I don't, I don't think men generally are homophobic. I should make that clear, but we do internalize that kind of sense of maybe being a bit inverted commas softer or talking about the deepest stuff is maybe a bit gay and yeah. it's not even conscious. Like when I went to school, so I'm 34, we were called like, we would use the phrase gay lord for like everything, like anything that wasn't like really normal. Inver again, no, no, inverted commas, like, you know, if you, someone came in with slightly long hair, but like, you look like a gay lord, mate. Yeah. Or um, if they had weird shoes, bit gay, mate. Like if they were good at French, bit gay, mate. But like there was completely illogical. And, um, but then also like very relaxed about genuine, you know, gay people, like that was fine. But it was like, it was our way of policing each other to some of these norms i think some of it, this is softening but we do absorb it and it gets deep into the soil of ourselves it kind of gets in your marrow and your bones you're not aware it's there or where it's come from you just feel this real weird tightening in certain moments and a sense of awkwardness or well, i can certainly say that it was true of me and i think that's what we mean when we talk about the post-war mentality these sort of rules that we internalize and they get in the way of this intimacy yeah, it's interesting because um, me and I mentioned they, me and my friend, my best friend Joe, we have like a re we have a really close friendship now. Um, to the point, yeah. I'll tell him I love him whenever I see him. Like I, I got no oh. qualms about that. But awesome, growing like when we started becoming close, everyone always used to joke like or oh, say, ah, oh, you, you know, you must be. Oh, have you seen your boyfriend today? Sort of thing, and this <laughs> and and there seems to be this real like. Uh, almost like you've seen the in-betweeners like that in-betweeners yeah, yeah. approach to, to, yeah. to male friendship and I don't know where this stems from I don't know if it's like an insecurity thing or whatever but there seems to be some sort of barrier to in intimacy in all young men yeah th there definitely is and I also think there's something broadly in the culture where we don't really get male friendships or we can only make sense of them in relation to other things mm. so for example you know I'm sure like you guys together, it's great, clearly a brilliant friendship, but you know, it might be called a bromance. Mm. Or some guy said to me when I was speaking about this the other day, he said, oh, whenever I go out, say I'm to someone in the office, me and John, a friend in the office are going out for a beer in the evening. They're like, oh, you're off on a mandate. Yeah. It's like, it slightly undermines it and it kind of paints it something that it's not. And it's, it's like, like, just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being gay, but, it kind of, why do we have to label any sort of male closeness as, as something sexual? I should say that in what I really, I found interesting in the research when I looked into it, is that we think of friendships now or relationships generally, and if you ask the average man or woman on the street, who's best at them or who's naturally great at them, they'd say, well, women are the queens of friendship, queens of relationships. They just got more skills. But actually for most of history, men have been considered the friendship kings. Mm. Uh, women weren't considered capable of it. So if you look around sort of uh, the ancient Greeks, and me briefly mentioned Aristotle earlier, they thought that friendship was about the in sitting around, a bit like conversations like this, contemplating truths of the world, quite intellectual ideas. Women, they thought, were 
bit thick, couldn't really cope with it. Mm. And then you've got, the, for, for the, the rest of history, um, a lot of what they called romantic friendships. Some, some men being very open with one another, often sharing beds, hugging and talking about anything, uh, writing each other lovely little letters. Now, that what most of those relationships weren't gay, but it was around the turn of the, the 19th century that when essentially homosexuality was invented, there's always been people having gay sex. But suddenly, around about the turn of the 19th century, being gay became an identity. So suddenly there were now gay people, and it was often linked to having a feminine upbringing by people like Freud. So suddenly men became very aware that certain behaviours were gay and therefore feminine and stopped doing it because obviously hugely stigmatised. So I think what I'm trying to get across if you, to people listening is a lot of this stuff we think about male friendship is a modern invention. Like we don't have to believe it. It's not necessarily natural. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting that there's almost a, a sort of moment in time where, the, where there was just a switch. And hmm. yeah, that's, that is really interesting. So why are, uh, what makes women in modern society such so effective with their friendships what is it that we could maybe look at them and 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 try to emulate what do they do so well um well i mean we kind of to kind of just draw off the thing we've just been talking about they don't bring the same sense of rules that we've kind of discussed so they're very happy to sort of confess that they like each other be affectionate you know verbally physically very happy to um talk about everything quite famously there is an argument and we can maybe get onto that later that they talk too much about stuff and it's not always positive and there's research it's not just a cliche there's also some research there i think the main thing they do though away from those rules is something i talk about in the book is emotional labor which is quite a trendy term now emotional labor so emotional labor is understood as the work people do in relationships to keep people happy so women often it's often quite a big feminist issue about the sort of work like in families in relationships that involve keeping people organized making people feel looked after so it's booking uh theater tickets so people can go to the show it's organizing what you're doing on new year's eve it's making sure there's milk in the fridge it's uh being the one who buys the birthday card for the person whose party you're going to with your boyfriend whatever it is those sorts of jobs generally fall on to women and part of that is they take a similar mentality women i think into how they maintain relationships they do a lot of that work and mm. um, my girlfriend said i treat friendships as like on the lazy susan of life right like my career like my health like money like friendships are one of the dishes on the lazy susan and i'm making sure that if i haven't you know, being in touch with a friend for a while, I'm calling them, I'm texting them, I'm making sure I'm getting in a date in a diary to have brunch or whatever it is. But she's very conscious about maintaining it and holding all of that in her head. And she said to me, the thing is with you, Max, is you don't do that. You don't put in the work. And therefore, no wonder your friendships aren't great. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing we can do. I, I, for the, I think I really believe that this was true of me is I didn't have friendship on the dashboard of my life. And I didn't confess that I had a problem. And it took me to confess I wanted friends and I needed them, but also then to be more conscious about measuring it and doing the work and being the one who does that work. That is what made the biggest difference. And I think that is something that men can have role models for women pretty successfully. You mentioned the, um, and I think you say in the book, is that men just simply, they don't put in the work. Um, and a lot of people may not you know look at the word work and think that that doesn't mm. go hand in hand with friendships but what does the practice of work look like is it you know taking time to have um to to consciously have conversations um you know w with a with a specific aim in mind of you know trying to to uh reach a certain connection is it trying to make more time for each other what is work Great. I mean, it's a great question. I think this is really important stuff as well. So just to share a quick story, I spoke to a guy who's got great male friendships who I know. 
And I said to him, you know, how do you do it? And he said, well, my mates call me the Sherpa, as in those soldiers in Nepal that carry everything up the mountain for the group of people. So they called me the Sherpa because I organise everything. But they said to me, Steve, if you didn't organise everything, we'd never see each other. And I thought, as a phrase, and this is there was one thing that I want to be remembered for as this phrase, which is not even mine, depressing me, is be the Sherpa. It's like a movement I want to start. So the be the Sherpa is this stuff of doing the work. So what does it mean to be a Sherpa? On, on one level, it is about being the one who shows leadership. And I think often this stuff with the relationships, men need it framed in, in sort of ways that they can relate to and i think we want to be leaders as guys often we can kind of connect to that especially people who are quite type a productive they're trying to improve themselves they're invested on living a great life show leadership the flip side here is like you say it's like well what friendships if they're good shouldn't need this a bit like you know in in a relationship with a romantic relationship if it's right it's right when you know you know it should just be simple but i think anyone who's been in a long-term relationship so i'm now i've been married for a almost a year it's bloody hard, right? You can't just rely on it being easy all the time. Otherwise, you're going to be pretty, eventually get pretty, you know, pissed off and depressed about it. it I think there's this idea of, of love, and I'm not saying friendship is love necessarily, but it's a love is a verb. It's an act, action. It's an activity. You've got to be doing stuff. And there's maybe in the modern world, we think everything should be convenient as well. And we put our relationships in that. You can't order a friendship like you order an Uber or a Deliveroo. You've got to do stuff. And part of that is being the one who goes, firstly, the mental work of going, oh, me and the boys haven't got together for for a month. We better get a date in. I'm going to be on and gets a date in. I'm going to be the one who does that slightly tedious work on the WhatsApp group of going, when are you free? Sends the doodle, doodle poll, thinks of what you're going to do, books it, follows it up. And it can be a pain in the ass. Um, but it's what someone needs to do it and you will be the one in the long run rewarded with great friendships on an individual level. It's, it's, it's checking in with friends and going, how are you doing? It's sending texts. It's organizing that meetup to have a beer. Um, and it's also, I think being the Sherpa is about doing the work of maybe role modeling some behaviors that, you know, are going to lead to great friendships with you guys. So for, for me on a very simple level, I went for a drink with my friend, Nick who I thought was, I loved hanging out with him. And he liked hanging out with me. We'd never talk about that, but it's like, we can have a great night when we're together. But I started saying, mate, I, I just want to say, I've, I've been thinking about the most important friends in my life and you are absolutely in the top five. And I just wanted you to know that. And he was sort of like, oh, like the alarm going off, being like, oh my God, someone get me out of here. Panic button, disappeared for a trap door in the floor for a little bit and then he was like oh no thank you thank you i, I like you too <laughs> so it's kind of like not romeo and juliet but like doing that of going first with those sorts of things but i should say you can set things up so the work becomes less onerous mm. and and we can maybe get onto that that was another one of my big discoveries is that friendships need structure mm. yeah it's interesting talking about the work this monday just gone um yeah my girlfriend had her friends around in the house and the three of them were downstairs and i was sat there as they were leaving and they all whipped <laughs> their phones out and they opened their calendar apps and they were like right when are we all free next and they yeah. they'll book they'll book in without even a specific action in mind they'll say right here's a date we're all free next month on the you know the the thirteenth of September, and they they like before they even leave the house, and I thought, well, yeah, all the the, the sort of male friendships I've known is very lax days ago, very last minute. Is uh, mate, we're down the pub, you come in, and you know there, there seems to be that uh, yeah, that like you mentioned, that lack of structure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really. I think it's a great example. So thanks for sharing that story. My my wife is brilliant at that stuff so i spoke to her on the phone last night and she was driving back from so we live in london she was going to colchester which is about two hours drive from london to watch a friend in a play mm. she, she's going to force herself to do that and to do the right thing the week before she did it with another friend in a play she's an actor in oxford another two and a half hour drive mm. doing that stuff i was just like wow you really put so much effort in but like t talking about structure 
we can't rely on spontaneity and the miracle of sinking diaries, especially as we get a bit older. People don't like structure because we think spontaneity is exciting and yeah. romantic. And I'm, I am having this discussion with my wife at the moment because, you know, we've been together five years, um, only married for almost one, I should say. But, you know, you want to keep things interesting in a relationship. And my view is like, well, let's get a date night in and let's put Tuesday night in as a date night and let's book it in for a year. I'm like, get, let's get it in the Google calendar. And she's like, why are you being a psychopath about it? But, but, but for, for me, I know like if we don't do that, it's going to be a lot harder to maintain it. And when we're in it, we'll love it. We'll love those evenings we spend together doing fun stuff. Um, one of the, just to talk to structure in a bit more detail, one of the leading researchers of friendship in the whole world is a guy called Dr. Robin Dunbar. He's a fascinating bloke. He's an evolutionary anthropologist. He's um, about 70 years old now. He's got done all sorts of incredible work around evolution, but lots of research around relationships and friendships across, um, <clears throat> excuse me, across um, primates and humans. And we've talked about some of these rules, the post-war thing, the gender norms of how men do relationships. His theory and approach is different. And I am going to tie this back into structure in a sec. He says a lot of these differences are innate and we've got to act with that in mind. So fundamentally, he said male and female friendships look different for good reason. And we've evolved to be like that. Female friendships tend to be face to face, based around talk, a lot of emotional disclosure and tend to have really close one on one friendships. Male friendships tend to be side by side, often in groups, more casual and the big thing about male friendships is doing stuff together. It is activities. Yeah. And so he's looked at how friendships are maintained over time. For women, it's about talk. And this is on average. It's not true for everyone, for every relationship. But it's about talk on the phone, face to face. For men, it's about doing stuff together. It's about your five-a-side football. It's about going, walking up the mountain, camping, coming back down. What The poker night, whatever it is for you, that is the crucial thing. What do we do when we get older, we get less time? Often we let these activities go. And again, the structure thing is, can you put something regularly in your diary to bring your friends together so it's not about reinventing the wheel? The work suddenly gets a lot easier I mean, I did a five-a-side thing fortnightly. I organise that now. I do a thing called Pub Club once a month, literally rent out a small area in a pub, text everyone, say, bring whoever you like, come for one drink, five drinks, whatever. But it's regular. And that has made such a big difference. And Dunbar said the biggest thing you can do, the number one tip is join a club. And again, it's about that structure thing. So, yeah, hopefully that's putting more flesh on the bones about what I mean by that structure, routine, ritual that kind of underlies a lot of brilliant friendship yeah i love that and it's it's really practical advice which is you know my favorite part of a of a podcast yeah there's um one thing that's been in, in my mind as we've been talking and i wonder if you've ever had a similar experience or that you you believe this to be true but i've always found that within males that the friendships tend to be a lot but severely less supportive um I've given this example a couple of times on the podcast, but when I was in university, I, I eventually um, ended up going into personal training as a career. But I remember when I was in university, I started an, an Instagram account, like a fitness Instagram account, right? And where I you know, try and give advice, just try and, you know, get, get, get myself off the ground. And I remember not wanting to tell anyone. And I remember I was in my university um, housing. I lived with five boys and... I remember I, I set it up. I'd been posting for a couple of days. I woke up the next morning and I just saw the group chat was like, like just exploding. And I just saw my name and I was like, oh, fuck. So, you know, it's like boys ripping on each other. I opened it up and just, it was all just ripping me for starting this um, mm. fitness Instagram. And it's like, ah, oh, Lewis thinks he's, you know, Lewis thinks he's a fitness icon. And it was just constant ripping on me to the point where I just ended up private in the account and never touching her again and then the following year i was also in university um and i wanted to start this podcast i didn't start this podcast yeah. until i was like 22 but i wanted to start it when i was 19 20 and i started it 
just me talking about personal development books in my room in university and i remember one day again my housemates found it and like they would just rip shit into it like for, for me for trying something and i remember thinking fuck so i've always been quite tentative on you know being open about trying new things or, or having goals and dreams with sort of male friends mm. but with all the female friends i've ever had i felt quite comfortable in telling them you know oh by the way i do this podcast quite early on in the friendship and i yeah. wonder why that is whether it's like a bravado thing an ego thing amongst men do you notice that that, that tends to be a thing again this is a brilliant example really rich so thank you for bringing it in so i i talk about this a lot in the book so so let's address like the ripping thing the banter thing kind of ripping into you for that for that channel and that that instagram on this on one hand it's a sign i think it's a lot of the way men communicate affection mm. is through that way of doing it and there is something to that by i'm taking the piss out of you because i know that i've kind of got the permission to do that and i know enough about you that there's a sense of closeness there and and a game we're playing and the kind of the assumptions under the game is i trust you to not necessarily think that i believe everything i'm saying mm -hmm. and it's we're having fun together and there is something to that but the trouble is 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 actually if you've only got one route of communicating which is was certainly true of me before this whole thing i would have been that guy on the whatsapp group yeah and it's true of a lot of men if you've only got one route to communicating what you end up doing is actually creating a, a culture within the friendship group or in the relationship where people feel they're not, they can't be open. And then what happens is they don't share. You're not sharing that part of you with that group of people anymore, right? Or maybe it's changed now, but th then you said, right, I'm going to just close off. So this is what I mean by closeness, that you're not allowed to bring your full self to it. So what I'm not saying with all this stuff that men should become like women, I'm saying that Let's bring all, every part of us to it. Let's have some conversations where we're ripping the piss out of each other and having a proper laugh. Brilliant. But also, let's have conversations where you can go, this is really important to me. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to do stuff and I want you to engage with it or at least listen or not completely stigmatize it. Mm. And then to kind of, another thing I think comes up here is about, Often you can be friends with people for too long and you change and they can't change with you. And at that point you have to leave them behind because often what people don't like about their friends doing new stuff, like your Instagram, like your podcast is you're becoming a person they don't know. And it terrifies them because you're, they want you trapped in that time of life because they don't want to leave that time of life. They know that guy. They don't want you to become different. And this is maybe one of the things that is quite sad about friendships is sometimes they live in a time of life and they can be brilliant then. And we need to move on and find new ones for new adventures, new parts of life. I've had friends before where they've got, because in my line of work, I've had friends who some of them have become really famous. And like we're not friends anymore because their life is different. Mm -hmm. And I don't resent that, but it's like we have to park it and go, good luck to you. We're going different ways. And I wonder if there's a similar thing here with this group of people is that when you were kind of first, second year of uni, it's great. And then you're changing a bit. It's like maybe you just need some different pals in there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I, again, through like reading personal development, I, I became aware of that sometimes friendships, you do out, sort of outgrow each other or move in different directions. And I think it's quite common for a lot of people to want to hold on to friendships out of like nostalgia or thinking um, we persona like a cost sunk fallacy. I think they call it where you sunk yeah. all this time into this friendship and you're thinking I, that that ten years can't go to waste. But so they'll hang on to these friendships even though they're bad for them. Absolutely. So and when I obviously spoke to tons of men about friendships in writing the book. And one of the biggest things that came out was not necessarily an out and out, I've got no friends or I hate my friends. It was more a more mundane thing, which is I'm in this friendship group, or I'm friends with the, this guy and it's just been drifting for ages. 
right? Because it's maybe should have, we maybe should have moved on or our friendship used to be about university or it used to be about the rugby team we were on that we're no longer on. And there's this guy called C.S. Lewis. He's obviously quite a famous writer, but he wrote a brilliant book called The Four Loves about different forms of relationship. And it's only short. And he's just such a good writer, but he, his kind of insight is that friendships need to be about something. The, a, a, a great friendship is about sharing a common journey. I think I put it in the book as a spot on the horizon. You don't look at each other, you look ahead, but you're moving alongside each other to get to that. He said the opening phrase of, of, of a close friendship should be, oh, you too, I thought it was only me. So that sense of sharing an idea or a sense of becoming something. And once you lose that, the friendship then loses its spice, its juice, its, its energy, however you want to express that. So I think a lot of the time it's, it's about, and th this is the thing I realised, like that friendship with Jules, who's a fantastic guy. But when we left the comedy circuit or moved in different directions, we lost that common journey and it did drift. And it was just sad and difficult. Not just, we, no one did anything wrong, but you, you do need to recreate new friendships. So this is the other thing, maybe to kind of tie it back to how we began the conversation is, it's not just about making sure the friendships you have are, are healthy and good, but also you've got to refresh sometimes because life, you change, life changes, and you kind of get different people on the convoy to go through those moments. Oh, absolutely. There's um, there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we wrap up. The first one, I'm I'm pretty sure you yeah. saw. I think I saw you mention it on on online, but recently um, we saw that big post fight speech from Paddy Pimble at Paddy the Body in UFC, where he talked about um, you know, friendship and what have one of his friends um, uh, committed suicide, um, just out of the blue, and you know he said that you know encouraging men to talk to each other. That he'd rather have, you know, someone cry on his shoulder than him have to go to their funeral. It's quite sad that we need something tragic like that to happen as a reminder. Yeah, it is really sad. And but Paddy Pimlet was was great. So he's a UFC fighter, obviously, and he said it in the ring after his fight. And his post match interview was really interesting. With I think I saw it on BT Sport. And he said, um, you know, in conversations he's had with friends in their group of friends, someone says something a bit vulnerable. And the other guy goes, why are you being like that, lad? Grow up. And it's that sense of how we police each other, right? And again, creating that environment where we are responsible for that and how we behave. So this thing doesn't happen by accident. But yeah, I think it's, it's the thing about being reminded by terrible events. And I, I had two friends take their own lives during the writing of the book. So it's stuff is not just hypothetical stats it's real and almost everyone i know has had a personal connection with this thing um and yeah i just i i don't know what it would take for us to take this seriously i think the fact that people like paddy pimlet are sending a message is really important so in the book the book is written in a fun funny way and i'm a bit of a nut and every man, I'm not kind of someone who talks about gender nonstop, wear skinny jeans, mascara. If that's you, good luck to you. But I think a lot of guys hear these messages about masculinity and they switch off. They hear phrases like toxic masculinity and they go, oh, I don't want to listen to this. I'm just being lectured. I'm being told I'm horrible or bad. And a lot of men have had enough of this and they don't trust the messenger. They don't They think the message is packaged in a way that feels offensive or kind of a bit wet that Paddy Pimlet, a literal fighter, a guy that I think a lot, a constituency of men can see a lot of themselves in or a lot of what they'd like to be in, saying this message, I think is really powerful and important. And it's like, I think, and then your story kind of connects here. It's not as profound as the, the guy being told to grow up and then ended up later with someone taking their own life. But it is this sense of, we can create these environments with just small changes in behavior. So I spoke to a psychologist called Fred Rabinovitz and he said he runs men's groups and he's a men's therapist. He's from the University of Redlands in California. And he says, I'm not trying to make men into women. I'm just saying you've got to expand your toolbox, get more tools on your tool belt or in your toolbox because different conversations require different tools. And all I'm saying, and all I think Paddy Pimlet is saying 
is we just need a few more routes into conversation and we need a few more tools and how we relate and connect to each other. And we need to be aware that when we do things like say grow up or man up when someone says something vulnerable, you are that will have an effect. You are creating an environment where those conversations can't happen. And in the worst cases, it ends up in horrifying circumstances like Paddy Pimlet's friend. Yes, I've always been interested by this idea of like redefining um, masculinity. I think a couple of years ago, I think I got on my bookshelf, I interviewed a, a guy called Dr. Ed Adams. He wrote a book called Redefining Masculinity. I can't see it, but I would recommend that yeah. book. Um, and I've often wondered that what needs to happen, do you think? So just to end this, this conversation on a practical uh, a note, what needs to happen in terms of redefining masculinity to sort of reverse or start to 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 entropy these these problems that we see in, in male friendships? What needs to happen for that switch to, 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 to flip? Um, the first thing is uh, men need to ha- see their relationships as part of a successful life and something they judge themselves on they judge one another on i was certainly would sell you, tell you before i went on this journey to use a terrible phrase that i'd be much more interested in being financially successful fame successful than having good relationships they were just something that i wasn't even thinking about and they if i had relationships they were almost a means to an end they were just and that sounds terrible but I wasn't taking them seriously. But I think we need to redefine masculinity in a sense of our interdependence and not just our independence. So there's loads of research on this that if you they do they do research psychologists around something called self-construals, where they but essentially they ask men and women to describe themselves, either just words they use or bring in photos and go, This is who I am. Women tend to define themselves in an interdependent way about in relation to other people, husbands kids friends men tend to define themselves in terms of stuff in terms of uh success metrics in terms of their marathon time or what they can bench press like we've got to change masculinity so that our relationships are part of how we judge each other and judge ourselves so that's a big thing i also think there's a massive thing with men and humor where being funny is very central to modern masculinity and there's a lot of joy in that but it, it can't just be the thing that gets in the way. So making sure that banter is uh, inclusive and not exclusive in terms of pushing people away. And then I think redefining finally is about not dropping some of these things that are sometimes really valuable in certain contexts. So being stoic, I know you've spoken to Ryan Holiday about the subject a lot and other people on your podcast, being stoic and this idea of not always having to talk about emotions or sometimes emotions not being appropriate. So a great example in the war zone in Ukraine, no one's talking about toxic masculinity out there because men getting on with it and getting into a terrifying environment and not thinking about their feelings is appropriate in that context. But we've got to make sure that in other contexts, such as our conversations with our friends, that other behaviors are appropriate. We have other tools in terms of sharing vulnerable information about ourselves talking about our hopes, our dreams, what we love, talking about the things we're struggling with. So those three different ways I think masculinity should be redefined or can be. Amazing. Love to, to sort of wind it down with our practicality, so I really appreciate that. I have two questions yeah. left that we ask every guest on the show. The first one, yeah. um, obviously you've written this book now, it's going to impact so many people, but what books have you read throughout your life that have had a massive impact on you and who you are? Brilliant. Um, I was thinking about this last night because I, I thought you might ask me this. So one is The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. Uh, so Eric Fromm is a is a psychiatrist and it's a really short book. This is super short. I think it's like 50, 60 pages. And The Art of Loving, he basically says in this book that um, we shouldn't see love as like a state you kind of enter into. You fall into or you fall out of. Love is an activity. It's a choice that you make every day love is a verb right and i think that's a really powerful way of looking at any relationship especially romantic but but generally and that 
I think it's such a simple metaphor and a really short book, well-written, that's had a big impact on me. There's a book called Into the Woods by John York, who is a screenwriter and a TV producer in the UK. It's about storytelling and structure. I reread that book every three or four months. It's just so useful in terms of structuring anything in terms of how you communicate scripts, articles, blogs, whatever. It's brilliant. And then finally, maybe one that's a bit weird is called Truth in Comedy by Del Close. So Del Close is a, a guru of improv, of comedic improvisation. And there's so, so much wisdom in that book. And one of the biggest, I, I, in my other life, I'm a director of an improv theatre and training centre called Hoopla in the UK. And I, I think if one thing you could do to improve your communication as a guy or anyone is an improv class. It's loads of fun. You don't have to want to perform. And I think improv is just makes you a better person. So those would be the three I'd go for. Amazing. And the final question I have for you, and this could be anything. It could be your work. It could be your family. It could be your friendships. But for Max Dickens right now, what makes a life worth living? What makes a life worth living is obviously relationships, but even more than that. So I'm joining you now from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. I've got a show opening with a team of people. We're doing it with a director, two actors, producer. We're living together. We're going to walk up this mountain over the next month. It's, we've worked really hard on it for months and months and months. And it's hard work to do, but it's exciting. And taking on a challenge that you're juiced at, that you don't know if it's going to work or not work, and doing that, but doing it with other people and those relationships you make on the way, I don't think there is a thing I love more in the whole of life than that. And I, it really gets me excited. But it doesn't always feel good. But when I get to the end or look back on it, I go, those are like the times you construct meaning and you, you get the most juice out of living. So that would be my answer to that question. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Please let these guys listening and watching know where they can find uh, yourself, find the book and connect with you. So the book is Billy No Mates, How I Realise Men Have a Friendship Problem. It's obviously available in shops and, and on uh, the well-known uh, online retailer, which is also a rainforest. And my website is maxdickins.com and I'm on Twitter as well come and say hello always love to hear from people and hear feedback or your own experiences as we've heard on the podcast today well thank you so much i really appreciate the the value you brought today i thought it was fantastic and um, a really important conversation so thank you so much i loved it thanks for having me